Looking for a great new thriller? Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think. From mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching dramatic action-adventure novels, our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com str for three totally free thrillers. You won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com str. somehow ended up listening to the stuff that's real that you didn't know was real but also is cool podcast or sturdy dick were bayic or uh never mind welcome back everyone we are so happy you are here so happy you can't see us but we look just so happy and it's because you're here listening to us yeah. Ain't that the truth? That's the truth. Every so, time you say welcome back, I get the welcome back Carter theme stuck in my head for the next <laughs> 45 minutes. Nice. I don't know what that is because I'm not. Because you, yeah. Not, uh, of that target demographic. I bet there's at least three <laughs> listeners in our audience who know what that, who know what I'm referring to. At least three. As I am one of those listeners, I count. Hi, That's Kevin. Right. <laughs> well, speaking of three listeners, uh, those three, you three listeners, I, I we got a treat for you today. I got some good stuff we're talking about. This one that I guess I can jump in first if, if you sure. want. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm surprised we haven't even mentioned these words, even though we've talked about some of the things on this list, but I thought it would be kind of, this is almost like a foundational episode. Anyone yeah. who does anything in this thriller action adventure writing space like us is constantly dipping from the same wells of ideas, right? And by that, I mean, you know, we're all, we all write the, the book where the, the bad guys are Nazis, neo-Nazis or whatever. We all write the book where we find Atlantis. Yeah. We all write the book where there's some secret chemical in the Amazon rainforest that we have to go find and procure. And that's fine. I mean, that's the kind of stuff I love to read. It's the kind of stuff you love to read. That's why we write this stuff. Yeah. But, you know, I, it would be a disservice to you three listeners for us not to even mention the seven wonders of the world. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. This will be cursory because there's actually three sections that I want to cover. There's the seven wonders of the ancient world, which I think we all know about. But then there's two other lists of wonders. And I'm trying to get the link pulled up so Kevin can follow along here. But uh, this is just like a personal blog, the one that I'm about to pull up. But real quick, be before we, we jump into the, the newer lists... We'll talk about these old, they're called Seven Wonders of the Ancient World. And most of you have heard of them, at least individually, if not as the whole collected list. But these are things like, you know, the Great Pyramids of Giza, or the Great Pyramid, I should say. There's really only one that made the list. It turns out these guys actually were, were on the list. Uh, it was collected together, at least we think, the first time by a guy named Philo of Byzantium. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Philo means lover something like that, or God, I can't remember. I don't know my Greek, but it means something cool like that. Philo, combining forms, denoting a liking for a specific, specified thing. Yeah, so it's like a liking or a love of something. Okay. So love, lover of Byzantium <laughs> wrote this up in 225 BC, and he called it On the Seven Wonders. 
And so interestingly, these things, there's only one still still alive, and that's the, the Great Pyramid of Giza. So we'll start there. The Great Pyramid of Giza, of course, we have talked about, so you should go back and listen to that episode for a little bit more in-depth study of these. But this is, of course, the giant pyramid that is smack dab, well, not in the middle, it's right outside Egypt, Cairo, in a place called Giza, on the west bank of the Nile. That's part of three pyramids, blah, 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 we all know about that. What I wanted to kind of get into is these other ones, because the interesting thing here, Kevin, is that these other six don't exist anymore. And there's a lot of debate over whether or not they did ever exist. Some of these. So for example, the next one on this list from history.com is the hanging gardens of Babylon. Yeah. And I think you've done, did you do a story about this? Did you Uh, write this up? Not on this show, but I've talked about this. No, sorry. I mean the, uh, did you write a book about I didn't write a book. It's got it got a mention in in one. Got a mention. Okay. Yeah. Because I've never done one on the Hanging Gardens, but it's on my list. Yeah. I would love to do this one. This apparent. This is in uh, modern day Iraq. Babylonian king. Most of us have heard this name, Nebuchadnezzar II. Uh, It was about 600 BC, and uh, this was like this massive temple like temple like structure, about 70 feet tall, 75 feet tall, and it was terraced. So each terrace had these beautiful lush gardens. And apparently the king built it to ease his lover, Amitus, Am- Amitus, yeah. Amitus's homesickness, which was in, a, she was from Media, which is a Northwestern part of modern day Iran. So you kind of get an idea, like, you know, now we have this idea that Iran and Iraq stereotypically maybe are like dry desert places, right? like the Sahara. You know, it wasn't too long ago where Northern Africa was this lush, vibrant river system with lots of plants and, and jungle everywhere. And I imagine that Iraq and Iran might have been the same pretty recently. So anyway, this one's cool. There's a a pretty cool picture here, a painting of what, you know, is rumored to look like. And it is pretty grand, pretty grandiose. Yeah. Would have loved to see that. But, you know, I ain't going to Iraq or Iran anytime soon. So, yeah, not willingly anyway. (laughs) Next up on the list is the statue of Zeus at Olympia. Mm -hmm. This one also is not around anymore. But it was like 40 feet tall. It's kind of, you know, it reminds me of um, the Lincoln. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, the Lincoln. Yeah, it looks a lot like the Lincoln. I mean, even the the same kind of, because I know, obviously, D.C., Pierre L'Enfant, I think, was the guy that designed it. Yeah. Um, And and, and somebody else did before that, Charles something. But, you know, they designed it after a lot of ancient sites, Greece, Egypt. And, you know, there's there's pyramidal structure-like shapes in the roads and the layout and all that. So I'm not yeah. surprised that this looks a lot like that was a very intentional theme. Yeah, exactly. That it looks a lot like the Lincoln. So he's just sitting there. He's he's sitting on his throne and he's holding up a stick doing Zeusy yeah. things, I guess. So this one was around like see the mid 5th century BC. Yep. Um yeah, so all kinds of stuff it comes up shows up in this one. Uh there's two carved <laughs> sphinxes showing up in the armrest. It's got a mythical creature with the head and chest of a woman, the body of a lion and the wings of a bird. And of course, it was richly decorated with gold and ivory. Yeah, apparently the temple was struck by lightning right after it was finished. So it was like Zeus, you know, marking his approval on it. And then it was moved to a temple in Constantinople. And we, of course, we know what happened there. Thank you, Alexander the Great. It was believed to have been destroyed in a fire in the year 462. Yeah. Seems odd. I mean, the thing's made out of rock, right? I mean, 
Well, it was. I guess maybe it melted. Sheathed know. in gold and other things. So yeah, that's really. I guess yeah. gold would have. But I mean, you should. We should get something. Something remaining, right? People think stone is not. You know, can't burn, but stone can burn. Well, sure. I mean, it can. Yeah, I can, yeah, yeah. I guess that's true. I guess it can just all melt down. Yeah. Okay, moving along rather quickly. The Temple of Artemis at Ephesus. Ephesus, of course, is a pretty popular place uh, if you're Christian or have read the Bible. Actually, pretty much any religion would reference it. The Book of Ephesians. Um, is, mm-hmm. is based on a letter from Paul to the people in Ephesus. And this is a Greek city on the west coast of modern-day Turkey. So it was a Greek city. It's now Turkish. But yeah, they had these giant two marble temples built around 550 and 350 BC. And these things were pretty grand. Again, there's a, a, a painting, of course, because we don't have them anymore. It was designed by a Cretan architect. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Cretan of the island of Crete, not a Cretan as in somebody <laughs> we don't like. Yeah, I thought I should... You know, specify that. And it was decorated by a bunch of famous artists back in the day. So it was the same night that Alexander the Great was born. It is believed this thing was burned down. This temple. Oh, wow. So again, another burned down. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Who? Let's see. So a Greek. Oh, this is kind of interesting. So it was torched by a Greek citizen named Herostratus who claimed he burned down the marble so that his name would be known to history. And so they killed him. (laughs) And the government, uh, on uh, salt in the wound here, the government (laughs) declared it illegal to utter his name, which is why none of you have heard of Herostratus. Yeah. It's probably still a law in the American Constitution. Probably. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so they did build a new building of that one, blah, 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 and all that. But it was largely destroyed by the Ostrogoths in uh, AD 262. And we've just now, actually, well, not just now. It was only about the 1860s, it says, that archaeologists dug up the first of the ruins of the temple's columns. So mm-hmm. I don't know what happened after that, but it's kind of underwater now. No more of that one. And then this is one of my favorite ones, the mausoleum at Halicarnassus, okay. southeastern Turkey. It was a tomb. It was a giant tomb built by Artemisia for her husband, Mausolus, the king of Carnia in Asia Minor, which of course is Turkey. Yeah, so she was so grief-stricken, she mixed his ashes with water and drank them, in addition wow. to ordering the mausoleum's construction. So she really liked her husband. She really yeah. thought the world of him. Entirely made of white marbles, about 135 feet high. I mean, this is not a small thing. This is a massive structure. Yeah, they've actually, they got some folks like leaning leisurely on the steps of this thing. Yeah. To give you yep. an idea of scale. Yeah, it's grand. I mean, I got like horses. There's like a chariot on top. Um, yeah. Three rectangular <clears throat> shapes kind of all stacked up. Layers. It's like a big cake. It's like a big marble cake. Yeah. Now, it was largely destroyed in an earthquake, but then its remains, not people to let things go to waste. They dug up uh, the remains and they said, oh, this marble is still pretty good. Let's fortify this castle with it. Yeah. So we do have some relics from it. So we know this one did exist. In 1846, some of the pieces of one of the friezes were extracted from the castle that were originally this mausoleum and then now reside in London's British Museum, where everything resides, I should say. Yeah, pretty much between them and the Louvre, they've got all the cool stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, and then this one, this is cool. The Colossus of Rhodes. Yeah. Um, the sun god Helios is a statue of the sun god Helios, and it was built by the Rhodians for 12 years it took to build this thing in the 3rd century BC. According to legend, the, the Rhodians sold the tools and equipment left behind um, by the Macedonians when they were sieged, laid siege to them, uh, and then that's how they paid for the Colossus. So that's cool. Oh wow! It, it is immense. That's it's bigger than the Statue of Liberty, I think. That's that's. Is it? Yeah, I, yeah. Maybe yeah. maybe it is. Hundred feet. That's yeah. Cool. I don't know. It's 
So. Uh, but it, at least it was definitely the tallest of the ancient world. It did stand, I think it was, I think we know that this thing was here. It stood for about 60 years. It didn't last very long. And it toppled over in an earthquake. Never rebuilt. Probably because it was expensive. About right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Arabs invaded Rhodes later and then sold the remains of it as scrap metal. So we don't really know where it is now or what it really actually looked like. But it believed it was a dude standing naked while he lifted a torch with one hand and a spear in the other. And then, of course, this is the one that you usually see paintings of. He's like straddling the harbor. There's, you know, he's yeah. standing on either side. We don't know that's true because there's not really a, a place where that would have happened. Yeah. And of course, it, you know, structurally, it would have made more sense to build the legs close together to support its weight. But yeah, we don't know. Yeah. And then here's my all time favorite one. I love this thing the Lighthouse of Alexandria. Because I imagine, I mean, the whole city of Alexandria, of course, northern uh, Egypt, right, has sunk underwater now. And, and we just don't have the original Alexandria at all. So there was a library there, right? We have all heard of that one uh, that burned down, got sacked, all that. And the lighthouse as well was this massive lighthouse completed around 270 BC in the reign of Ptolemy II. And Ptolemy, if you remember, is Alexandria, Alexander's right-hand man. He was his, his general. Yeah. And Alexander dies. They move Alexander's body, and during that parade of moving his sarcophagus, which, by the way, ended up in the London Museum again, yeah. Ptolemy basically takes over and says, I'm going to be, you know, the man now, and everybody follow me. So he took over, and he's kind of reigning all of Egypt and, and surrounding area at this point. So he built it. This is a Ptolemy thing. Yeah. And the estimates range from 200 to 600 feet tall. For some reason, modern scholars think it was exactly 380 feet tall. I don't know where that came from, but it too was destroyed by some earthquakes, lots of earthquakes. Yeah. Um, and some of its remains have been found now at the bottom of the Nile. So this, this is one of the one that got consumed by the river. And of course, it's probably just under, you know, 20 feet of silt at this point. But yeah, man. So these are the seven wonders of the ancient world. And, and then real quick, I just thought that was kind of interesting. There was a, a company... Uh, foundation, I should say, called the New Seven Wonders Foundation. And they didn't like the fact that six of these seven ancient wonders are no longer with us. So we wanted to right. name new, new Seven Wonders. Apparently, like tens of million people voted. I don't know how that happened back before the internet, but it happened. And it's still, you know, kind of contentious. A lot of people, of course, the jingoists in the crowd will want their own country's monuments to be on the list. <clears throat> but it's a pretty good list. So what we've got yeah. here, again, these are all real places, of course, all which you've heard of. Yeah. The Great Wall of China, the Taj Mahal in India, Petra, Jordan. This is Indiana Jones. I've written this into my books as well. Mm -hmm. It's where the, the treasury, you go through the seek and you navigate through and you get this really pretty treasury. The Colosseum in Rome, of course, is that should be on the list. Christ the Redeemer statue, Rio de Janeiro. You know, that's this is probably the one where I'm like, I don't know. If, I mean, it's cool. I don't know that I would include it in the seven wonders of the world. It's just yeah. a statue. It's big. Yeah. yeah. But, you know. It's cool, but compared to the other six, you know, I'm like, yeah, eh, yeah. this would be the one. It's not um, ancient. It's not so, ancient. Yeah. So it's kind of, yeah, it's it was built in 1926, finished it's in the youngest thing on the list here. By far. Yeah. yeah by, far. by far. So I would put something like Angkor Wat maybe yeah. on this list instead, Christ the Redeemer, but whatever, you know, hey, a lot of Brazilians, they probably voted. Chichen Itza in Mexico. I have actually been there. It's pretty fascinating, pretty cool <laughs> place. And then Machu Picchu, which absolutely deserves to be on the list. Yeah. But yeah, so that's it. And I mentioned another list. I don't know if we have time, but there's uh, a blog that claimed they think they are in charge of the nat seven natural wonders of the world or something like that, uh, where these yeah. are not man-made objects, structures, whatever. 
So things like Mount Everest is on their list. Okay. Great Barrier Reef. Because you know, I was gonna, I I was gonna throw in place of. So if it's if it has to be man-made, then it, you couldn't include like the Grand Canyon or something like that. Yeah, and that, that's on this list as well. So the yeah. Grand Canyon, the Northern Lights, the Paracutan vol- volcano. It's um, interesting. So I was looking because it says that seven new Seven Wonders Foundation. It says that they did that in two thousand seven. So I always. I grew up thinking that the Great Wall of China was one of the seven wonders. Yeah, I, I've heard a bunch of different things. I used to think that. I used to think Machu Picchu was on the list. Yeah. The uh, Not the Statue of Zeus, but the, the sword. What's the sword one that I'm thinking of? Sword one. The Sword of Excalibur, is that it? Is that, that's King Arthur. That's King Arthur, yeah. No, there was another sword. There was like a, I don't know. Uh, there was another one that I thought was on the list. And I, I mean, it's clearly a, a myth. It's not real. Maybe it was Excalibur. I don't know. But I thought stuff like that was on the list. <laughs> yeah. There was the sword of Damocles. It's not like an object, really, though. Yeah, it was. I mean, that so, was yeah, more like pendulum or something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't remember uh, what it was. But like the hanging gardens, on there. The yeah, hanging there, gardens. yeah. Those were always something I heard was on that list. And then the the Great Pyramids, uh, the Sphinx, the was, Sphinx. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that too. So, yeah, but, yeah. It seems you know anybody who <clears throat> who has any following whatsoever gets to make their own list, and that's fine. Yeah, because it's all cool stuff, right? I think it's just a matter of if, can we all agree? And no, we cannot. Not as, as with most things. As with most things, we cannot agree. Uh, I think that the fact that you and I remember certain things being on that list that turned out to not be in that list is another one of those Mandela effect. Mandela effects. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. <laughs> Cool. Yeah. There. Anyway, so yeah, if you're, uh, you know, I thought it's obviously not a deep dive into anything no, on but, that list, but it's all cool stuff. It's all very much real as far as, you know, the, at least the myth of it. The list is real. Yeah. But yeah, just really cool stuff. And that's, this is, I mean, this is easy fodder for stories right here. I mean, oh, Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Well, we don't, we haven't found it yet. So we can write whatever we want. This yeah. reminds me, by the way, real quick, of reading Raise the Titanic by Clive Cussler. Yeah. Um, I never read that growing up. I read it like a year ago. And of course it was written in the eighties or something. And so we hadn't found the Titanic yet when it was written. And so the whole book, I'm like, does, but he knows that we found it, right? Like that's not where it is. Like that's not (laughs) what happened at all. (laughs) And I finally had to look it up and I was like, Oh, that's going to, that's what's going to happen to all these Atlantis books one day. Yep. Exactly. There's going to be one or two that are dead on accurate. It's going to be mine and yours, of course. Right. And all the rest of them are going to be false. Yeah. My book puts Atlantis very close to Sri Lanka. Which I actually, yep, I've heard of that one. Yeah, I borrowed that from actual research. So, but who mine, knows? Mine, mine, I think makes even more sense. It's it's just off the coast of Greece, in Santorini. Yeah, where there's the uh, Pleiades Plateau, Pleiades Plateau. Yeah, and I mean, you just looks it looks exactly like the way Atlantis would look, and it just sunk. You know, it was. I'm uh, planning to write another Atlantis book where they find Atlantis off the Jersey Shore. Oh, and, nice. Uh, it's actually a theme park that was just overwhelmed by the ocean. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, no, these stories, the, the whole seven wonders thing is, you know, my whole life I heard about this stuff and it was always mentioned in like cartoons and, you know, things like that. Growing up, Bugs Bunny cartoons and stuff would talk about this oddly enough, which is how I learned a lot of early history. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was always fascinating to me. There's a, so there's a certain vibe that, that I feel when looking at these photos and talking about th- these things from 
you know, when I was a kid and the the wonder of it all. Like, Some nostalgia there of, of yeah, the wonder. Yeah, yeah just the too. mystery. Like, well, you know, because it, 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 it's bizarre to think that there are structures that, that some of which have held up to this day. We have no idea who actually built it and what its use was, why it's there, none of it. Yeah. You know, people yeah. can talk with authority about the purpose of the pyramids or whatever all they want, but they the reality is they know nothing. They know, they know nothing at all about choice. why they're there, what purpose they served. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, truth. Cool. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, all those are just begging to have. It's, it, it, it would be interesting, like... You could just write an entire seven book series, one for each of these great wonders. Thrillers. Oh, that'd be fun. That'd be pretty yeah. cool. Uh, <clears throat> well, I mean, Matt Riley kind of did it, but it was only one. It was called Seven, Seven Wonder, Seven Deadly Wonders, I think. And yeah. then the sixth one was about. And so he just kind of, he kind of went off the rail. I love Matt Riley because he just is so over the top ridiculous. Right. But yeah, there was only one of them that was about the Seven Wonders, but. uh Main character had to find them all, you know, a certain amount of time before someone's head was chopped off, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the trouble with doing a series like that. It's like it, it leaves the realm of re realism when you have to have seven different things happen to these otherwise connected ideas. You know. Yep. So, anyway, cool. That's that's a good one. Mine is not as grandiose is that but it is ancient <laughs> well and i had a hard time with this one because i was like well you know it's not really specific but yeah it's fun i we gotta we can't call ourselves scholars without talking about the seven yeah you, at some point you actually literally do have to talk about that that's, that's right one. mine is about a cooking pot okay okay here's the breakdown so in 1836 a man named william solinso I uh, was a Christian missionary from Cornwall in England. He was taking a walk in a near a remote Maori village in New Zealand when he noticed that a Maori woman was preparing a meal in a very strange looking cooking pot. And so he went and took a closer look at it and started asking questions. And according to the the Maori, who are Maori by the way, are the the natives of New Zealand. They're the yep. indigenous people of New Zealand, and they have traditions that stretch beyond recorded time. They're a whole other topic for a whole other episode. But yeah, that'd be a cool one to do. Yeah, they would. It really would because they've got some interesting like creation myths that to deep dive into. So when I was asking about this cooking pot, he was told. Let's see. He was told by the locals that it was found under the roots of a large tree, swept up from the ground swept up from the ground by a storm many years prior. Now, in, in looking deeper into this, the quote, many years prior, was like centuries prior, yeah. apparently. <laughs> so he takes a closer look at this thing, and he discovers that there's a series of markings and runes in a language he's not familiar with that, that ring the entire bell, ring the bell, that go around the outside edge of the bell. <laughs> and he made a trade. He traded an actual cooking pot for this pot, and took it back with him to to his, I guess, Dunedin is the name of the region he was from. So he takes it back, and upon further study, they realize that this is a bell. And it's the language inscribed on it is a from the Tamil people. So that is a group of people who live in, in the in, uh, region of India. And so 
it was a very strange thing because up until this point, there were very there was very little contact. This was early days in European contact with the Maori people. As far as anyone knew, there were no there was no contact between India and the Tamil people and this group. So they start looking at this a little further and discover that you know over the next several years and centuries even this mystery persists and then they start to discover things like there was a shipwreck they start to question like why were people why was this bell there why was the ship there and it just kind of continues to evolve as a mystery okay all right so over the years several theories have been pushed forward and either were inconclusive or were completely shot down one of those was the idea that there might be evidence of a Tamil colony in New Zealand, which would have predated the contact by any other European settlers. And there's, a, there's various reasons why this might have happened. So the Tamil people actually were very skilled sailors, apparently, very skilled navigators. So uh, it's very possible that they did get out into the ocean and find this place probably by accident. But having found it, could navigate their way back home if they wanted to. And they might have tried to initiate some form of trade because this region has what's known as the Spice Islands, where you okay. get like uh-huh. nutmeg and stuff like that, where it wasn't available anywhere else at the time. The thing that shoots that down, that theory down, though, is the mere fact that these people did not trade in those spices. So it didn't, since that didn't come up, it's not really likely that they that they would have you know gone there for that. Oh, you know? I see. So that theory gets shot down. Uh, later theory, another theory was that this was a lost Portuguese trading ship that, w- for one reason or another, since they were, as this article puts it, they were major players in the Indian Ocean trade network, that they might have actually procured a bell from Tamil Bell for their own ship and then eventually shipwrecked in this region. The things that kind of shot that down were that there, there were no there were no real signs of a Portuguese influence there, right? This also comes up later, the same idea when it comes to a Spanish castaways, which I'll talk about in a second, but you know, there were no, there's no sign of a Portuguese language influence on the local language. There's no writing, there's no artifacts, none of that stuff seems to exist. <clears throat> Although it seems more likely in theory that a Portuguese ship would have arrived on this coast, there's nothing to support it. So moving on from there, though, it was equally an equally likely idea that this could have been Spanish castaways. Now, what's interesting about this is a, this is a theory pushed forward by one Robert Langdon. I was just reading that. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the reasons I thought this was interesting, but... Not of Da Vinci Code fame, but a another real-life uh, person named Robert Langdon, and he wrote a book called The Lost Caravel. Uh, the Caravel was a Spanish ship that may have, they speculate, may have actually crashed, <laughs> gotten shipwrecked in that region. And the Spanish survivors would have you know, rescued anything they could from the ship, including this bell, and that they went on to live with the people there, intermarry with Maori women, and that sort of thing. So, again, the problem is that there was no sign of Spanish language or any of that. Um, 
and Langdon actually came up with a whole bunch of really kind of wild and cockeyed theories about why that would be. But they, you know, he was saying that, you know, because of the nature of the Maori language and the way the syllables and sounds work, there's no common sounds apparently between that language and Spanish. And so the language we'll say was incorporated and then changed. So we may actually be hearing Spanish words that we can't recognize because they would have been just basically butchered by the Maori people who Langdon says learn their language from their mothers, not their fathers. So, you know, now this basically all of his theories all involve sort of Hail Mary plays <laughs> that just had no real shot of actually happening. A whole lot of things would have had to have happened, but he was, he, he did point out that, there is the existence of, quote, Caucasian-like individuals with fair skin, red hair, blue eyes on many Pacific islands. And he saw this as proof of his hypothesis that the only way that those genetics are going to get there is if the Spanish brought them there. Now, the uh, detractor of Langdon's, and I can't pronounce the name, ben, Bingt Danielson, he was an academic from French Polynesia, and he described... Uh, Langdon's theory as anthropological science fiction uh, <laughs> because Langdon was essentially just ignoring any of yeah. the prevailing evidence and making his own story up. Yeah. He's got a, it's more of a stretch for, for you to believe him than it is to believe even the, the small amount of evidence that's been collected disproving right. that. Right. Now Langdon, uh, he, kept going we kept pushing this right to the very end and this is actually for a while been one of the more prevailing theories and then he's pointed to everything from you know blue uh, blonde hair blue-eyed maori to what's called the talking boards on the easter island which were a series of stone tablets that they didn't discover until the 1860s um and he says that they have archaic runes as a type of script invented by spanish castaways but again, you know, everything this guy says gets disproven in one way or another. He's not actually a very, and he used sources that were later proven to be false as part of his evidence. So his whole argument kind of falls apart. Yeah. But the sort of, well, then the next theory is I was going to say this was the, I was about to skip it, but this is the derelict theory, which is the same, which is the idea I had actually when I first encountered this that. This so there's there are ghost ships, right? And the idea here is there people will, for one reason or another, a crew will perish and no longer be on a ship, and it will just sail around with no one directing it, <laughs> yeah, until it you know comes ashore somewhere. One there's of the documentary famous, about that actually is called The Caribbean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of the one of the most famous examples of this is the Flying Dutchman, which. Yep. They found the Flying Dutchman. And it, had, it, it had full sails set up, but there wasn't a single human being aboard. No trace of anyone. No bodies, no anything. Yeah. But it had just been kind of floating around out there for years, apparently. And so that's one example. But there are derelicts who they continuously find derelicts like rowboats and you know, other small sailing vessels. No one aboard, but they'll have like full provisions or something along those lines. Now, that's weird. That's a whole weird 
series of stories all their own. But what it does is open up the possibility that one of these ships got lost at sea, no crew aboard. Now, by the way, this could happen like that ship was moored in a bay somewhere and it came loose from its moorings, its anchor rope broke or something, and in a storm and got pushed out to sea and lost forever. So that's one possible explanation for that sort of thing. But that goes usually the sails wouldn't be up if it's that's right. The sails wouldn't be up. So the Flying Dutchman is just a it's an anomaly all around. But you know, that that opens the possibility that once a ship kind of gets into some of these currents out there, it it gets basically directed on autopilot and crashes into the the shore of some distant land. And so everything that happened to be on board is now on that continent where it doesn't belong. So there may have actually been no actual human influence there. The Maori have lots of legends about gods depositing things on their land. To them, it wouldn't even seem all that strange that here's this thing that they don't recognize, a a ship. Because they would have no frame of reference for that. And then it crashes and deposits a bunch of interesting items one of which happens to look a lot like a cooking pot to them. And so they turn this bell over and start cooking stew in it. That (laughs) seems like a plausible explanation to me, but there's no way to really prove that, you know, false or true, honestly. But the enduring enigma, as the final passage of this article calls it, says that I'm trying to find the date. The guy. So this is a more modern theory, but it's one that's gotten a lot of it's got a lot of weight behind it. Let me see if I can. I'm trying to kind of scan through it real quick. I think the subsequent tips to find his latest 1975. That's not the date, though, because this guy actually announced this in like a tweet. But the theory is that, gosh, I really could. I really wish I could find. Is that, I mean, is that where we're going with this today? Is that what anthropology yeah. archaeology has come to? We found some cool shit. Hashtag archaeology. Hashtag yeah. Machu Picchu. Yeah. That's possibly, you know what? I think what I've done inadvertently is that was that last theory was the one I was thinking. That's the most likely um, explanation because there, this idea that someone sailed there, first of all, no one would have sailed there on purpose because as far as they knew, the world just dropped off in in all directions. They might've gotten there by accident but then where's the evidence of, you know, even one European predating those who landed there? And, you know, why they're so they found a ship, a Tamil ship that they that was shipwrecked off the shore that they feel was probably the, the contributor of this bell. But that doesn't there's nothing about finding it that proves any one of these theories uh, correct or false. So. There's no way to really know what happened. So the most likely explanation is that it was a ghost ship and that it crashed there. Or it did have a crew and, you know, they faded out and died without any interaction with the Maori people, which is also entirely possible because it's a very large place and not a lot of people living there at that time. They may have lived their whole lives without encountering another human being on that continent. So if we ever find, you know, human remain European remains that it turned out to be from the right era. I mean, that might lend some credence to uh, survivors, but yeah, the most likely explanation seems to be the ghost ship. Yeah. That's good. It has all kinds of interesting connotations just on its own. It really does. And this is where I must point out that one of the greatest movies of our generation has just been released. It's called uncharted. 
which I have not seen, but I will. Oh, it's great. It's based on a video game. Yeah, it's a video game. I mean, it's live action, but yeah, it's based on a video game series, which is, I've played the very beginning of the first one. Yeah. And it's really good. It's super well made. Apparently the story is what's really awesome about these games. So the movie is Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg. And man, it's just a lot of fun. It is a romp. It's action Avenger. Great movie, but it just it features a lot of the same stuff that we talked about in, in all this. Yeah. And I will say, so the article that you pointed to is from ancientorigins.net. Yeah. And in the movie, Tom Holland's character, Nathan Drake, is looking up some stuff and doing some research, and he pops up ancientorigins.net <laughs> and uh, is doing some reading. I was like, hey, I know that website. Yeah, I mean, half I my book came from that website. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, you popped into a chat with me and Ernie and said, so tell the truth. Do you guys just go to Ancient or- Origins? And- yeah. <laughs> and I hadn't actually heard of it until that oh, point. I can't, well, everything because I'm, I'm always looking for the arcane and yeah. and the somewhat not mainstream, you know, research because I'm a professional conspiracy theorist, and so it's a great website for that. It's all theories and you know, myth and legend. Yeah. But anyway, well, good stuff, man. Good stuff today, yeah. as always. Seven amazing wonders and one, you know, mediocre subject from Kevin. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Great subject. Yeah. We hope that you're inspired. And if you're not, you just better keep listening because you will be. We promise. Keep writing those thrillers. Let us know what you think. You can see us at stuffthatsreal.com. Other than that, we will see you next week with more Stuff That's Real. Take care. See ya. Stuff That's Real. Looking for a great new thriller? Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think. From mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching dramatic action-adventure novels, our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com str for three totally free thrillers. You won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com slash str.